It's great to know the Lord. It was Dr. McKay of Scotland. And Dr. McKay was a great medical doctor. And he tells in his own testimony that uh, when he was growing up, his mother was a devoted Christian. And she would often, as she was a boy, talk to him about the Lord Jesus. But he said, as I grew older, uh, I became more wicked. And finally, as he graduated from high school, he left home. But he went on to college. He went on to medical school. He became a noted surgeon and a, a medical doctor. He was head of a certain hospital in Scotland. And he tells how that uh, one day they brought in a man that had been injured in an accident on the job. And after he examined this man, he realized there was nothing that medical help could bring him back to life. He was just dying. There's nothing they could do. And so he mentioned that to the nurse. The gentleman wasn't unconscious, and he realized what was going on. And he turned to the doctor, and he said, But doctor, tell me, how long do I have to live? And the doctor said, I don't know, but my friend, you're dying, and there's nothing we can do. His only request was, could he somehow or another see his landlady one more time? He owed her a little bit more money, and he wanted to bid her goodbye. And then he said, would you have her bring my book? Well, it so happened she did bring the book. The man passed away. However, those next few hours, Dr. McKay kept stepping by the bed to see if there was anything he could do for this dying man. But he said he noticed that every time he stepped up to the bed, he had a smile on his face, a smile of contentment. And then he passed away. They were taking care of the things that they had brought to the hospital, and, and among them was the book. And the one nurse said, well, doctor, what shall I do with the book? And he said, well, what kind of book, book is it? And she said, it's a Bible. He said, well, give it to me. And so she handed him the Bible, and he began to open the fly leaf to see what the name was. And he stood there in astonishment as he realized it was his name. And his name was written by his mother. Then he remembered that his mother gave him the Bible when he left home. But he took it and sold it, forgot about it. But now it's back in his hands. And he began to thumb through the Bible and he realized that this Bible brought comfort to a dying man. This Bible brought him to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he sat down and he began to read it. And after a time went by and in his reading, he too accepted the Lord Jesus as his personal Savior. And then Dr. McKay sat down and he wrote the words of that old great hymn, Revive Us Again. He begins out something like this. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love. For Jesus who died and is now gone above, revive us again, fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with a fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory, revive us again. It was 
Dr. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, that great Bible teacher and pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, Inc., London, England. And Dr. Spurgeon wrote these words. If you want a formula for revival, turn to Second Chronicles 7.14. And he said, if you will follow that formula, there will always be revival. It never fails. And the other morning, and I had prepared my message this morning on a different note altogether. And it was all done, and I told my wife, I'm ready to preach. And yet that morning, I began to think, the Spirit of God begin to move in my heart. If that's the spirit or the formula of revival, well, Paul, why don't you look at it more closely? And so if you wouldn't mind this morning, I'd like to take you with me through my thoughts about what this verse says. And if you take your Bibles or the Pew Bible, and would, would you turn to Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And notice how it reads, Second Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14. If my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now stop and notice what it says. It begins with that word, if. In our English Bible, that word if comes up to the surface many times. And it means there is a promise fulfilled if certain conditions are met. For instance, maybe we ought to turn to it. Would you put your Bible ribbon right there? And, and would you turn over to the almost the last book of the Bible, 1 John? Could you turn back there just for a moment? 1 John chapter 1. And let me illustrate what I'm talking about. There is that word if. And if that is fulfilled, there's, as certain conditions are mentioned, there is a promise. Look at verse 1, no, verse 6, chapter 1. 1 John 1, verse 6. If, there's my word, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. Now, friends, those are strong words. So the question is, am I walking in the light? Am I leading the life of absolute surrender to the will of God? Has God really changed things that really matters? Or do I still yearn for the old life? If so, it's absurd to talk about walking with God. For the Bible says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? So just keep on reading. If we say that we have fellowship with him, walk in darkness and we lie. But if, verse 7, if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And what a glorious privilege that is. Walking with God. But don't stop reading. Keep on reading. For we have the promise. The As we walk with God, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That word cleanse, in in the Pew Bible, uh, NIV, I believe it says purify. But in my Bible, it's cleanse. Uh, 
That's the removal of guilt. It means pardon. It means to purify, to cleanse, wipe the slate clean. But again, there is an if. Look at the next verse. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, my dear people, there is a condition we must meet as we walk in the light with Christ. When sin occurs, we must face it. We must call sin just what it is. If it's jealousy, name it. If it's envy, name it. If it's covetousness, name it. If it's hatred, name it. If it's bitterness, name it. You see, we must call what it is and admit that we have sinned. For you see, sin is incompatible and inconsistent with walking with God. However, the Lord said, if we confess, if we admit it, he will forgive, he will cleanse, he will purify. And this cleansing process has an if. Now, let's go back to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and look at verse 14. If my people who are called by my name, our dear Lord is saying, if my people. Now, he's speaking to those who have confessed their sin. They have been forgiven. They are now part of the family of God. But in our walk with God, we become complacent. You know, the excitement is gone. There isn't that joy and vibrancy there once won. And when that time comes, that's the time for revival. Our lives, you see, are like a pitcher of water. And as that pitcher of water pours water into the glass, and the glass is filled, but the pitcher becomes empty. So we need to be filled as we pour our lives out to others We need to be filled. In fact, as you read the book of Acts, and you'll discover the history of the Christian church, and you'll find that that church was so uniquely filled with the Holy Spirit that they began to turn the world right side up for Christ. And they moved out from their comfort zone. And the first service, there were 3,000 souls saved. And then they moved out into the community and out into the countryside. God began to use them. But what happened? As you read the history of the church in the book of Acts, you will discover that almost in every chapter, these same people had to be filled again. They were not saved again. They were not baptized again. But they were filled again and again and again. And folks, that's what we need. If we're going to count for God, we need the filling And the refreshing power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so the Lord says, if my people who call by my name shall humble themselves. It's a humbling thing, isn't it, to admit we're wrong. It's a humbling thing to go to one and ask for forgiveness. However, when we humble ourselves... It becomes a time when God begins to work in our hearts and in our lives. I remember so well, I was asked to hold a week of meetings in Osco, Illinois. As I got to Osco, Illinois, it was a little town of about 100 people. 
They had a church building that would seat about 300. A beautiful building and a beautiful setting. And as we started the service on a Sunday morning, and the people came all from around the countryside, and the church was nearly filled. We had a great time, but nothing seemed to be happening. Every night I preached the best I knew how, but nothing happened. It came to the last Sunday, and that we were to close. And that Sunday morning, I thought, Lord, what can I say? What shall I do? And as I came to bring the message that Sunday morning, I finished and I gave an invitation. Is there anyone that would like to make things right between you and God? And if so, as we sing a verse of a hymn, would you come and just kneel? And let's pray together. We sang the first stanza and nothing happened. And then as we started the second stanza, an elderly lady from way in the back got up and started down. And as she came down and she knelt from the choir, a young girl stepped out and she walked down and she knelt by her mother. And as those two people knelt, it seemed like the people began to stop singing. And I looked over the audience and I could see a sob here and a sob there. And I turned around and I looked at the choir and the choir and almost everyone had stopped singing. And the tears were running down across their faces as they stood there with their heads bowed. I looked back to the pastor and the pastor was standing there. The songbook in his hands. But the tears were running. I don't know what went on in that home. And I don't know what was going on between mom and daughter. But when that mother was hungry for revival and for forgiveness, a revival broke out. And that night, souls came to the altar for salvation. Something happened. Oh, would you mind if I told another? I, I, as a preacher boy in college, and I, I was called to a church in Cincinnati, Iowa. Never heard of it before. It was right on the border of Missouri and Iowa. It was a little town. Their only income was strip mining for coal. And uh, I went down and I was glad to be preaching. And so I had an old 29 Chevrolet car. And I'd get up early in the morning and I'd drive across about 75 miles south of the college. And uh, I would preach there a Sunday morning and Sunday night and drive back. I was excited. And then... About halfway between the college and Cincinnati, there was a, a little Methodist country church just about a mile off of the highway. And that little Methodist church uh, wrote my father and asked if he would come and hold a series of meetings. I hadn't seen father for quite some time. And, and so when that day came when he was to, to be there at that church, I asked my church board if if I could make that Sunday night service a little shorter, that I could maybe get back to that little country church and see Dad before he left for home. And permission was granted. And so as soon as I finished preaching that Sunday night, I hurried up the highway. As I pulled off of the main highway on that gravel road, I, I noticed that there were cars parked on both sides of that road all the way up. I got down to the church, and there was this little... Parking, and I was able just to get my car off of the, the road, and I sneaked into the church. And as I stepped into the back, 
I noticed that everybody was just moving around. They were hugging each other. They were weeping. There was some kneeling at the altar. Then I noticed my father was standing over against the wall. And so I slipped along the back and I came over and I greeted dad. And I said, dad, what's going on? And he said, just wait and I'll tell you later. Well, I stood there and, and waited after it was all over. Father said, this is what happened. There were two men in that church, both farmers. And 20 years ago, they had a falling out. Those two men didn't even speak to each other for 20 years. They were leaders of the church. And so when they came to church, one went on that side and the other went on this side. There was no fellowship at all. And it seemed as though that people were taking sides. And those who liked this man, they stayed over here and they stayed over here. It was a church divided. But that night, Father Seven, he got through preaching. He gave the invitation. Would you like to make amends? Would you like to ask for forgiveness? Would you like to do business for God? And as they begin to sing, and I'll not call these men by their real name, but... But Joe was sitting over here, and as they were singing, Joe stepped out, and he walked to the back, and he walked across. And as he got over here, the people almost stopped singing. He's on his enemy's side. He don't come on this side of the church. But he walked over, and he came down that outside aisle, and about halfway down was his brother Bill. And as he came down to where Bill was sitting... He looked down at Bill and he said, Bill, will you forgive me? My father said that Bill jumped up and he wrapped his arm around his brother. And those two men stood there and wept. And at that moment, this one went to that one and that one went to this one. And people began to move and they wept on each other's shoulders. They were asking for forgiveness and there was revival. It's a humbling thing. To ask for forgiveness. But Jesus said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Now, prayer is an ingredient for revival. Prayer is the key that opens the bank of God. And the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. Seek. You shall find, knock, it shall be opened. Then again in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. If you turn to the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus speaking to the people of his day, he said these words, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, I will do it. And you take John chapter 14, 15, 16. Five times in those chapters, the Lord Jesus said, If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And I come to you this morning, my dear people. What do you want? Is it forgiveness? Is it a family relationship you want restored? Is it a child, a spouse, you want to come to Jesus? 
Is it revival in your own heart or in the church? Have you lost the joy you once had in Christ and you want that joy restored? What do you want? And the Lord Jesus said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I'll do it. After serving the church in little town, Folk City, Iowa, my father had served that little church for 31 years. And uh, he decided he was 65 and he's been there over 30 years. I'll retire. He retired and mother and dad moved to Boone, Iowa, bought a little bungalow, settled down. But as I called home and I said, Dad, how things going? He wasn't happy. I want to be back in the ministry. And would you believe there was a church in Ottumwa, Iowa. It was a church that was having struggles. A pastor would move in, be there a couple years and move away. It was a struggling church and they just chewed up pastor after pastor. And that church called my father. Would you come and be our pastor? And dad was excited and I said, do you want to go to Ottumwa? They just chew up pastors. But Dad said, I'll preach and pray. I'll just love them to death. And he went. And he did love them. And he preached. And the people began to come. Souls began to be saved. And then he wrote me and he said, son, would you come and hold a week of meetings for me? Why, sure I will. It'd be great to work with my father. And the time was planned. I came. We started on a Sunday morning. And the church was nearly filled. And uh, as my father made the announcements, he said, now, folks, you know, this week, every night, we're going to have a meeting. And before the meeting, I'd like to have you. We're going to call this room over here to my left. We're going to call that the prayer room. And would you come maybe a half hour early and come and let's pray and God will send a revival. Well, Sunday night came and the little room was nearly filled. Monday night, it was filled. Tuesday night, there were so many that they stood outside. And when you prayed, you leave so somebody else could go in and pray. And for half an hour, those dear people prayed. The church was filled every night. Things was happening. But I noticed that in that prayer room, everybody that prayed, it seemed like they prayed for a man by the name of Jake. And it kind of got to me. And finally, I said to my father, who is this fellow, Jake, that everybody is praying for? Oh, he said, his teenage kids come here to church. They both come to know Christ. They're walking with the Lord. They got a great testimony. Their mother will come with them once in a while to a special thing here at the church. But their dad, Jake, he wouldn't come near a church. That's off limits to him. Now they're praying for Jake. It came to the last service on Sunday night, and the place was packed. And as we were singing the first song, the back doors opened. And if you can just imagine, the church had just two rows of pews, and the door was right in the middle. And so you'd come in, you'd have to go one way or the other. And as Jake and his wife, and of course I didn't know who they were, this couple came in, and... Uh, there was no place for them to sit, but right down here in front. And uh, they were ushered down. It was just the second pew from the front thing. And, 
And as they were walking down the aisle, my dad whispered, there's Jake. I tell you, to me, Jake looked like he had a bowl of eight penny nails for supper. Oh, he, he was. He, I cannot describe how mean he looked. And he sat there. Now, I know I'm not a great preacher. And I didn't know what to do. Here's the guy that everybody's praying for. And Lord, I'm just a servant. But what can I say? But I, from my heart, I preached the best I knew how. I gave the invitation. Would anybody tonight like to come to know Christ as their personal Savior? The people began to sing. And as they were singing, Jake stepped out. But instead of coming forward, he walks back. And he walks over to that back door. And he walks out and he slams it. Everybody just looked around, kind of. And then they begin to keep singing. Pretty soon his wife slipped out. A number came forward and we had a good prayer time. The service was over. People were bidding farewell to each other. And after everybody was gone, Father and I picked up our things and we walked out. And as we were standing on the outside, my father now is almost, uh, I think he was um, pretty close to 80 years of age. And he was fumbling in his pocket for his keys to lock the door. And as he was standing there fumbling for the keys, a car comes driving down the road or the street. And as it came down in a terrific speed and it turns into the parking lot, put on this brake and it screeched right up almost to us. And the door flew open and a man jumped out. It was Jake. And as Jake jumped out, my father looked up and he said, Jake, what do you want? And Jake ran over and he pushed that aside. He opened the door. He said, sir, I've got to get saved. And he rushed into that dark building. And, of course, as you know, there was a pew right in front of him. And he hit that pew and down he went in the darkness. And Dad said, Jake, wait, I'll turn on the light. But Jake struggled to his feet. And I stood there watching it all. Here comes another car speeding down the street, turned in, screeched to a halt. The door flew open. A young man stepped out. It was Jake's 18-year-old teenage son. And the son was on his way home after that service. And he met his dad coming down the street at terrific speed. And he said, what's wrong with my dad? So to find out, he turned around and he tried to catch him. He, he saw where he turned into the church. And that young teenage boy, he rushed over and went into the church. And he ran down the aisle. And I stood there and I watched that kid put his arm around his dad. As his dad found Christ as Savior. Jesus said, if my people would humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven. Folks, I have two great convictions. First, I believe that God can do anything. The God that I know is almighty, is all wise, he's all sufficient. Why, my God can do anything. The God that I know can lift life's burdens, can solve life's problems, can meet life's needs, 
can forgive sins, can revive the church. Why, my friends, the God of this book created this world in which we live in six days. And on one occasion, he made the sun stand still. By the way, he even backed it up ten degrees on one occasion. Why, the God of this book, he delivered a man called Daniel from the den of hungry lions. The God of this book, he walked with three Hebrew boys into the furnace of fire, and they came out with even their hair is not even singed. The God could hold back rain for three and a half days or three and a half years in Elijah's day. But he could send a rain that would cover the face of the earth during the days of Noah. My friends, the God of this book and the God that I know, even when men turned against him, yet in his love, he gave his only begotten son. To die for me and for you. There on a hill called Calvary. Our God in the heavens. Saw the nail his son to a cross. He heard them cry and mock him. He saw them spit upon him. God in the heavens saw them walk up and pull out his whiskers. Until the Bible says he scarcely looks like a man. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. My friend, God's love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundaries. No one under man. But out of his infinite riches and glory, he just keeps giving and giving and giving again. I believe with all of my heart the God that I know can do anything. But I have another conviction, which is God will only do what I allow him to do. You see, folks, God can do anything. If we would trust him. It matters very little who we are. Why God can remove mountains if we ask him. God is still in the business of seeing and sending a revival. If we're willing to pray. And turn. And call upon him. You see it depends on us how much God will do for us. Are we willing to pay the price? And so Jesus said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then, that's the turning point, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Are we willing to pay the price? And I close. I read about a church out east. They were having a series of meetings. Nothing happened. They had a prayer meeting night after night. But there were two deacons in that church. And they would come to that meeting. And they would monopolize the whole prayer time. The one would start praying. And he would pray all around the world for that missionary and that missionary and that missionary. And when he finished, the other one would stop. 
and pick up where the other one left off and keep on praying around the world. Nothing happened. It came to the last Sunday night and they were meeting in that prayer room. And as normal, the one deacon started to pray. And he started his trip around the world, praying for that missionary and that missionary. Then all of a sudden, in the middle of his prayer, he broke down. And the tears began to run from his eyes. And he said, oh, God, it isn't a missionary. It's me standing in the need of prayer. And through his tears, he said, oh, God, I asked my boy to come with me to church tonight. And he laughed at me and he said, I wouldn't go to any church where you go. For you're a hypocrite. You're so holy in church that at home you're so different. Well, that night, that father went forward, asked the Lord for forgiveness. Give him another chance. He went home. He went up to his boy's room. And he sat on the edge of the boy's bed and he looked at the boy and he said, son, will you forgive me? The next Sunday, the evangelist was gone. The musicians were gone. But that boy went to church. And at the end of that service, he went forward and accepted Christ as Savior because his father humbled himself. And prayed. And there was revival. Folks, we've been together for many years and you've been so gracious and kind to me to think that you still let me have ministry here in the church after all of these years. And I'm so grateful. But do we hunger for revival? Could I be very, very pointed? My dear friend, if I walk up to you personally And I would say, does your heart beat as it did that day when you first met the Lord and you stood with tears of joy running down your face because the burden was gone? Do you still have that joy? This morning, is your testimony ringing as true as it was a few days or a few years ago? Can you look back on your walk with Christ and you have compromised just a little and a little of the world has slipped into your life and the joy and the vibrancy of your walk with Christ has changed? Are you willing to humble yourselves today and bow before the Lord? And as you bow before the Lord, I feel the Lord just bows beside you and whispers in your ear, I love you. Perhaps I should close. Let's bow for prayer. While our heads are bowed, and I don't know what your need is today, but my friend, do you long for revival? Are you willing to pay the price and let the Lord begin it in you? Would you like to come this morning and just kneel here at the altar and we could just have a moment of prayer before we go home? We could ask the Lord forgiveness where we have 
compromised where we have let a little world slip in. And if we could say, Lord, start the revival and begin it in me. And I wonder as we sing that great song, my tribute, would you be willing to slip out and just to come and kneel? And together we will pray, Lord, send a revival and start that work in me. 